All right, folks, what I'd like you to do is I'd like you to turn your Bibles to uh, Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11. We're getting to the last chapter of this, the next section here of Romans that we've been looking at. I've entitled it The Bigger Picture. And I think it's because Paul is, he's concerned about his brethren, the Jews, and, and whether or not God has rejected them. And he's been kind of discussing that, but as he's been discussing his concern for them and God's provision for them, he's kind of giving us a bigger picture about life. Because here's the thing you and I need to understand. So as we realize the salvation that we have, okay, so first of all, if you understand what was before Christ, the reality that the world is going to hell, the world without Christ is doomed, it's condemned, and that you and I are accepted not because of what we do, and he's brought that out many times through Romans so far. It's not by our works, not by our actions, not even by your standing, just because you came from a family where they believe in Christ doesn't mean you're okay. But the reality is it has to do with faith. And with that faith, you are accepted with God. You're justified. You are reconciled to him. You now have a relationship with him. But what I find is, is that even though we understand that, we've got to have a bigger picture still in mind because sometimes we operate under wrong assumptions. And Paul's really trying to deal with that in this passage here because there are some wrong assumptions that his brethren, the Jews who are listening, the questions they have, that they have about God. And, and that's really what the issue is. It isn't that it's, the issue is, is that we, we get our thinking wrong about God. What do you mean, George? Well, let me give you two thoughts here. First of all, there's a tendency to view God as evil with regards to those who reject him. There's a tendency, whether we realize it or not, it's out there on the internet, I don't know. I mean, there are people who just flat out reject the Old Testament because God is a God of judgment. Look at how he wipes out these people. God is ready to just squash people. He's ready to drop the hammer. You say, really, people think that? Yeah, in fact, people in the church think that. How do you know that, George? Look at how you react when you do wrong. Some of you are terrified that God is going to drop the hammer on you. What do you mean? Yeah, he's going to discipline you. We understand that. So, for instance, in a healthy home, there, with a child and a parent, there should be respect, but not, and, and a fear of consequences but an abusive parent goes beyond that, right? And sometimes we think of God in an abusive way with regards to us, with regards to how we are when we sin. Now, the problem is, is with that, we think God's ready to just drop the hammer and, and, and really deal with people who reject him. But that's not the God of the Scripture. What do you mean, George? He's going to send them to hell? Yes, but it's, he's not sending them to hell with a smile on his face. Sometimes I get that impression from people that God is just rejoicing and people going to hell. No, he's not. In fact, I believe his heart is broken. 
Because over and over in the Old Testament, it tells you that he takes no delight in the destruction of the wicked. He doesn't take delight in people going to hell. That's not what he intended for us. Now, they chose their path. It's kind of like, I think you realize this when you're a parent, right? All of us, when we're younger and we have younger kids, we think we're going to write the story for our children, right? We, we kind of think that. We're going to write their story until, until they become teenagers and we realize uh, as much as we want to write their story, we're starting to realize we can't write their story. And then when they become young adults, you really understand you don't write their stories. Just like nobody wrote your story, right? Now, what am I saying there? The thing is, is that when you realize that, you have in your mind what would be best for them and you try to guide them in that, but they make their own what? Choices, decisions. And when they choose the way they choose, you know that it's going to end up in a, maybe a bad way or something because you've lived life and experienced it or maybe you've experienced it yourself, but you can't write their story, Right? I think that's like God. God lays out for us what he wants for us from the very beginning. But we're the ones, and people are the ones who make the decisions, right? And he allows them to make those decisions. And, he, and they face the consequences of that. And just like a parent who, when I see a child, even my own children, making wrong decisions... I don't sit there and say, oh, man, well, they should have seen that coming. Man, I can't believe that. No, I grieve for them. I hurt for them that they have to go through that. I think that's the Lord. But the problem is, is that we have this tendency to think that, there's a, that God is evil with regards to those who reject him. Here's the other one. God is seen as cold-hearted to his own special people. Not just to those who reject, but to his own special people. In particular, we're going to see here that his own special people were the Jews, right? And this is what Paul's going to address here is, is that, what about the Jews now? They reject, and so therefore they're going to hell. And so God's just being cold-hearted. He kind of just like blows them off, brushes them off. We have that tendency. You say, well, yeah, I can see where the Jews would think that. Yeah, but we do too. Think about the way we react and the misunderstanding that, that haunts us and drives us because we think, oh, yes, there was a time maybe when you were really walking with the Lord and you were seeing him answering prayer and doing things through you, but now maybe because of a mess up, because of your humanity, you did something wrong and, and you went in a different direction and it's like that relationship isn't the same anymore with the Lord. Now you just kind of view him as being cold-hearted towards you. Distant. And, and I'll be honest with you folks, that's misguided thinking. It's we have wrong assumptions we operate under. And Paul's trying to address the wrong assumptions. In particular, he's wanting to address them with his people, the Jews. 
But you and I, who are Gentiles, who live in this world as well, we can find ourselves feeling the same way, right? Tendency to see God as being evil to those who, who reject him, but also that God is cold-hearted towards us, his special people. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to progress into chapter 11, and we're going to look at the first 10 verses today. We're going to see what Paul's trying to tell us here, okay? We're going to see what he's going to tell us about God, because really this isn't just about the Jews here, folks. Ultimately, this passage is about God and how God acts. And the God who acts this way to his people, the Jews, to Israel, acts this way to you. So let's look at what he says, okay? So here's what Paul writes in verse 1. I ask then, has God rejected his people? By no means. For I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah? How he appeals to God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets. They have demolished your altars. I alone am left and they seek my life. But what is God's reply to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would, be, would no longer be grace. What then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened, as it is written. God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see, ears that would not hear, down to this very day. David says, let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and bend their backs forever. So let's take a look at this. And what we're going to do, first of all, folks, is in the first section, so that you and I understand the character of God, we're going to see grace extended. We're going to see how God still extends grace, especially to people who reject him. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying here? We're going, to, we're going to grasp the reality that God's not in the write-off business. Do you understand what I mean by that? So, for instance, have you written people off before? Don't, don't answer that out loud. Have you written people off? We know what that means. When you write someone off, you don't have anything to do with them again. You're not interacting with them. You're not doing anything with them. You've written them off. I'm done. I'm out of here. I'm not messing with them anymore. God is not that way, period. Even with those who reject him. We're going to see this here. Grace extended. But we're also going to see the reality of rejection. What do you mean by that, George? We're going to see the hardness of rejection. We're going to see that when people choose to go, they harden themselves. That even though grace is being extended, they're still hardened. They're still wanting to do their own thing. Okay? 
So we, get a, so we get a picture of what's going on, which helps us get a picture of who God is, okay? So let's take a look at this. First of all, I want you to notice with me grace extended. Very first thing I want you to see is this. Verse 1 says this. Paul, again, I ask then, has God rejected his people? So again, he's asking a hypothetical question that he is expecting from his people, okay? By no means. Let it never be so. Very loud voice. No way! Okay? For I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. All right, now what's he saying here? He's saying here for you and I to understand this. Even as his people are rejecting him, the Lord is still showing grace to some. So even as, as a whole, the, most of the Jews are rejecting him, Paul's answering the question, has God rejected them now? No, 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 God's not rejecting them. Why? Because he says, look at me. I'm saved. And by the way, I'm a Jew. And just so you know what kind of Jew I am, I even know where I'm from. I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. When you go over to Philippians... When he talks about being of the tribe of Benjamin, he, he talks about his pedigree there. He talks about how special he was. He was a Pharisee. And so the reality is, is what he's showing us here, is that even though God has people rejecting them, he's still showing grace to some, to those who respond. He's showing grace. So realize that. Here's the second thing I want you to see. Look with me at verse 2. He says this. Verse 2, he says, God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah, how he appeals to God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets. They have demolished your altars. I alone am left, and they seek my life. But what is God's reply to him? I've kept for myself 7,000 men who have not yet bowed the knee to Baal. First part I want you to see there. It's very interesting. We get kind of distracted by it. He says there, God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Well, here's what I want you to see. The Lord extends grace because he's always had a meaningful relationship with them. What do you mean he's always had a relationship with them? Well, he foreknew. That word foreknew... As I was looking at it, refers back to many ways. It's more than just that he kind of knows who's going to get saved. It's that from the very beginning, he had a special place for them. Really? Well, yeah, think about this scripture. You guys know it. It's the scripture we use. It's, it's kind of the ab abortion passage. What I mean by that is the passage we always mention when we talk about abortion but it's actually not the abortion passage. It's talking about God's special place for people. It's Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 4 to 5. You'll know it. It's up on the screen. Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. I knew you intimately. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you prophet to the nations. 
So what I want you to see here is what he's saying to them is, is that no, he, he's not just giving up on those who reject. He's had a special place in his heart for some. You know, when I, when I was reading that, I thought, wow. So for me, I came to know Jesus in April, third week, on a Tuesday. I gave my life to follow him. I understood who he was. But the reality, like when I read this, God, the eternal being who does not exist in time but exists past, present, and future all at once, I was special to him. He knew me. And think about it. Let, this is, he knows you. And there was an intimacy that he had for you. Now, I, I believe he has it for everyone, but not everybody responds to him, right? They reject. But God, in his grace, this is what I want you to see. This is a picture about grace. God's not this evil guy, woo I'm glad they're all dying and going to hell. No, 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 he grieves. I remember reading a, a book one time, and it was talking about when they appeared before the Lord in judgment, that the one who sits on the great white throne is Jesus, and that when Jesus pronounces judgment, the, the author, presupposing from his understanding of Scripture, that he does it with a tear in his eye. That's an awesome picture of God, isn't it? This is what he's trying to tell us. He, he extends grace to you and I. Not just to you and I, but he continues even for them. What do you mean? Well, here's what I want you to see. Well, look with me at verses 2 to 5 where he talked about it. He, he says here about the whole issue of Elijah saying, oh, I'm the only one and they've killed your prophets. And then, of course, the response is, yeah, but I've left 7,000 who've not bowed the knee. This is God, his grace. What does he do here? The Lord extends grace because it is while most have chosen to reject him, he has always preserved a few. He's always preserved a few. He's always made sure that there were a few, even though they rejected him. And listen, I, you know, we've been going through the minor prophets in, in Sunday school, in the adult Sunday school class, and we've looked about how God, with the pre-exilic prophets, we're talking about they were going to be carried away into exile. And guess what? Is even though they were facing judgment and some of them would die, he would always preserve what? A remnant, because they were his special people. This is the God we're talking about. Humanity has chosen to go its own way, to do its own thing. We know that. Chapters 1 through chapter 3, right? And because that, they face condemnation. But in spite of that, because of his love, he says, I'm still going to reach out. I'm going to preserve for myself a people who what? Love me. Who care for me. This is what's so awesome. But here's what I want you to also see now. His acceptance is based purely on one thing. Look with me. Verse 5, he says, So at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by what? Grace. In verse 6, But if it's by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. 
accepted you, so everybody understand, when he accepted you, he didn't accept you because of what you do and who you are. He didn't accept you because of your education level. He didn't accept you because of how beautiful you think you are. He didn't accept you because of that. He accepted you purely from one thing only. Grace. Grace. So, like, okay, so this week in some of my devotional reading, I was reflecting on the two who went up into the temple. The one was a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, of course, gets up there and says, I thank you, God, that I'm not like these people around me, and I'm special, I've done this, I've tied this and everything. But then the tax collector doesn't even lift his eyes to heaven, and he beats his chest, and he said, have mercy on me, a sinner. The realization of grace is, is that you realize I have a standing before God, not because of who I am and what I'm doing and what I volunteer for and how much I give and how much I believe or whatever. I have a standing before him because purely because of grace because ultimately I'm just a what? A sinner. And you had mercy on me. See, his acceptance is solely based on grace, not works. And man, he has reiterated that, that so many times through Romans. Because if you think it's going to be on your works, then baby, try to do it all because there's no way you can because that's the only way. So then let's see now. The problem is, is that people still reject. Right? We know that, right? You've shared the gospel with others. They don't want to have anything of it. Some of them say, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll think about that. But some of them are like flat out rude to you. And I say, don't you ever bring it up to me again. Have you heard that one? Why are they like that? Why can't they see Jesus like we see Jesus? What's, what's going on here? Well, he's going to talk about the reality of their hardness. He's going to illustrate it here through the people of Israel. And, and what I want you to notice, first of all, it's just the reality, a couple of things here. Look with me at verses 7 and 8. He's going to do it as he quotes from a passage here. Here's what he says. What then? Israel failed to obtain what they're seeking. The, the elect obtained it. But the rest are hardened, as it is written. God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see, ears that would not hear, down to this very day. Here's what I want you to see. As people choose to reject the Lord, he gives them what they want. As people choose to reject the Lord, guess what? This is how God is. I, I, I think it's interesting. I mean, could God make people embrace him? Well, we know he doesn't, but could he? If, does he powerful enough to do that? Yeah. But here's the thing. Then he wouldn't be the God that we know, Right? He does it. If you want to go your own way, he lets you go. And for most of humanity, he lets them go. You want to choose that? So that's why when we go back to Romans 1, it says he gave them over. He gave them over to a reprobate mind. He gave them over. What was he going on here? Well, he explains what he's doing. He gave them a spirit of stupor. He, he, eyes that would not see, ears that could not hear, down to this very day. 
He gives them over. This is why when I pray for those who need Christ, I pray, God, would you open their eyes? Would you open their ears? Would you open their hearts so they can see? Because right now they can't. It's got to be you, Lord. This is the reality. The hardness of rejection is that when you choose to do your own thing and go your own way, guess what? He lets you. He lets you. Does it grieve him? Yes. But he lets you. Here, here's the second thing. He uses what's another passage here from David. Look at me, verses 9 through 10. And it's David says, Let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block, and a retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and bend their backs forever. In spite of God's goodness, their pride blinded them as they rejected him. Their pride blinded them. You know, as I was reading this passage, this quote from David, I was thinking back to, uh, you know, C.S. Lewis, The Chronicles of Narnia. It's not just movies, folks. They're books, okay? And, and the final book is The Last Battle. And there is the scene at the very end where they're, they're in this hut, and, and of course, there are these dwarves, I believe, and they're sitting at a table with a bountiful feast before them beyond anything in their comprehension as far as food, but they don't see it. They think a straw and, 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 and the most miserable, they don't see it. Why? Because of their rejection. This is, this is the reality. When people reject the Lord, in spite of his goodness, in spite of what he does, all they see is what? Rejection of him. So therefore, everything is bad. And so David says, let their table become a snare and a trap. Literally, let the bountiful thing before them become a trap for them because they don't see it, a stumbling block and a retribution. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and bend their backs forward. They don't see it. This is the hardness of rejection. Listen, when you understand that, so listen, let me just make a comment here, okay? So right now, People in the church are very disturbed by things that we're seeing in our culture and we're all upset and we think that somehow that if we just get the right person in, we're going to change it. But folks, the right person that's got to change it is Jesus. Do you understand that? Okay? Why? Because unsaved people are going to do what unsaved people do. Do you understand what I'm saying? And the only way to not do what unsaved people are going to do is salvation. Because unsaved people don't know any better. And if you're rejecting the Lord, do you understand what I'm saying? If you're rejecting the Lord, then he lets you go off. And so the hope for our nation isn't elections or laws or this, that, or another. It's the Lord so start praying for the Lord. Start praying for the church to be the church. The problem is today with the church, let's be honest, we're a lot like the world. And we are. 
Because we don't have any expectations of the God who can do something in our lives. So we do it on our own. And they see right through that. This in hardness happens when you reject, but there's only one person that can break through. Who? Christ. And that's where we need to be. With the Lord. Because again, what is his heart? His heart is what we saw earlier, is that even though they reject, he's still what, folks? Extending grace. Extending grace. And how do I know that he's done that? Because I'm here. And you're here. Right? Because if he hadn't extended grace, would you be here? I can guarantee you, you wouldn't. I can guarantee you, you wouldn't. You're here because he extended grace to you, and, and somehow you responded. Somehow you reached out in faith and you said, Yes, Lord, I'll follow you. And with that, he gave you a new mind and a new heart. But yet there are so many around us that need to hear, right? But it's not because of the Lord. It's because they've chosen their own path and their hearts are hardened. Which means, like the Lord who grieves for them, we need to grieve for them. Something to think about. Let's pray.